I'm Toby Haddock, uh, dubbing this bit in after the event. by the way, my guest today enjoyed some very high-profile TV work over the years, but his part in Doctor Who is a trifle more elusive. We lodged temporarily at a cafe in Leicester Square, where once again he gave voice to Doctor Who. Uh, Well, um, welcome. Uh, I'm in a... uh, We're off Leicester Square, and I've met with a gentleman that's had... uh, uh, roles in various high-profile TV dramas, but also in, of course, Doctor Who. So I'm going to ask him, who is he and why is he talking to me about Doctor Who? Well, good morning, Toby. I am Ben Payton, and I played the main baddie, actually, in a, a Matt Smith episode of Doctor Who called The Lodger. Well, that, that's good, because um, I've not had any... You're my first Matt Smith person, so thank you for being that. Um, but let's 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 build up to, to that because you sort of made your name uh, as a regular in the bill. I did indeed. Uh, for just under two years, I played PC Ben Haywood from uh, 2000 to 2002, and were involved with the infamous Sunhill Fire, where you actually survived for a bit, but didn't survive for long enough. No, not for very long at all, um, but thanks for bringing that up, because that's when they actually axed me, so um, I, it's, you know, it's like a dagger through my heart. Um, yes, unfortunately, uh, a new producer came into the show, um, wanted to make his mark. The first thing he does is get rid of a stack of regulars, and uh, I was sadly on his list. But you know what, I can't blame him, because my character had become a little uh, dull. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I would have killed myself. Oh, well, that's very healthy. That's a very healthy attitude. Because I have to say, I, I, I was a big follower of the bill, and I did follow the Sunhill Fire, and it was a, a, a appointment viewing. But then, to me, the show wasn't the show that I knew, and it seemed to mark a paradigm shift from a sort of Z-cars of its day with the coppers were like coppers to where they became a bit more like television characters. Does that make sense? It does, but I think the thing is with, with the bill, it was, it was losing viewing figures rapidly um, it really was going downhill and it was the job of this new producer to to change that and he I think he previously worked on on Hollyoaks um, maybe Emmerdale I'm not sure but but he yeah he kind of he made it more soapy so to speak and and it worked the bottom line is it worked and where it it did upset quite a lot of the, the die-hard fans who are unhappy the show was taking a new direction it saved the show that's the bottom line is it did save the show and it got an extra couple of million viewers um, and it, it went on from strength to strength strength to strength strength to strength that's easy for me to say for a couple of years uh, it must have been hard I mean as you say you've done it for a couple of years but some of those old times like um, Ben Roberts and Colin Tarrant and Peter Ellis had probably as an actor's mindset being oh I've got a job for life here and suddenly boom yeah very much so um, they have six month options on you where they can get rid of you if they want to um, so they've kind of got a bit of an insurance policy but yeah some of those guys I think would have been very very comfortable and yes and some of them shouldn't have been told they were going um, some of them should have stayed on because they were brilliant characters and brilliant actors 
Ben Roberts, actually, when he was told, um, he came out and uh, he came to find me and said that he thinks I should have been fired twice. They got the wrong Ben. It should have been me twice, <laughs> not him, oh, which bless. is lovely. Um, yeah, I mean, it's those guys, well, the money you'd hope that they would have made from being there for years and years, that, you know, hopefully they would be financially secure for a while because they, you know, it was, it was, it was a well-paid, it was a well-paid job. Well, I remember, I remember doing a theatre job with an actor, um, Eamon Boland, uh, who'd come in and, I think, before your time, had just done a semi-regular thing on the bill. He'd come in for a few episodes. He said, but the crazy thing is you've got all these young actors, they're always on the mobile phone. And I was saying to them, this job's not forever, you know, and they were going out and he was going, because he's in his 50s, maybe 60s now, and he's going, they really need to save up. Yeah, very much so. I mean, I, I, was, um, I was only about 22, 23 when I was there, and I... It, I was on telly and I was getting well paid for it, so I enjoyed myself. However, my dad was also, at the time, an independent financial advisor. So he, he very, very shrewdly um, made me put away X amount of money each week, each month. And in the end, I was actually able to afford a mortgage and I got my first property because of the bill and because he was there telling me what to do. But that didn't stop me from you know, buying 20 DVDs a week, some, <laughs> some of which I didn't actually even get around to watching. So. If I miss them at the cinema, that's fine, I'll just get them on DVD. Yeah, I've still got an unopened Amelie that I bought about eight years ago. So. It's a good film, you should watch that, it's good. It's been on telly about 20 times. That's true. Um, so, I mean, that's a young age to be propelled onto a show that's getting millions and millions of viewers. I mean, did that, as well as the on... I mean, I guess, job-wise, did you learn very quickly... I yes. had to act on television. Absolutely, because I didn't really have any training in acting on television. Um, I went to drama school down in Guildford, and I left there in '98. It was pretty much a theatrical training. Um, but I was always told, uh, because of how I looked, that I was always going to work in television um, or film, which was fine by me. That's what I wanted to do. But they didn't cater for that. Um, I had one week of television training. That was it, and it wasn't enough. Um, so, yes, I was very much learning on the job. My very first day of filming um, at the Bill, about 8 o'clock in the green room, um, the uh, third assistant director came up to me with a, a stack of pages and said, these are the, a the new scenes that you're going to be doing today. And I thought this was some kind of new boy initiation joke. And I burst out laughing and said, yeah, right, OK. And he said, no, seriously, it's, it's changed, the schedule's changed, this is it. And I had probably four or five scenes that I had to learn on top of the ones I'd already learned um, to film in a couple of hours and later on that day. And that's how it was. That's, that happened nearly every day, that, some, that things would change and you'd have to be kept on your feet. I look back at my previous episodes, my, my opening episodes, and I cringe. I was rubbish in them because I didn't know what I was doing. All these gestures I was doing, I looked like a rabbit stuck in the headlights. It's painful and I cringe now. But as I, it went on, I was working on four episodes of Fortnite. I, I personally think I developed into quite a good television actor. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people out there would disagree and say I, I always stayed rubbish, but I, I felt very comfortable and confident as time went on because I had no choice but to learn on the job. It seems extraordinary that you went to a good drama school, and it's this not typical to your drama school either. Less than... You graduated in 98, did you yes. say? Less than 15 years ago, or 15 years ago. And still, television, as something you are taught as an actor, is an afterthought. Now, I can understand when actors from the 60s say, well, we didn't really know what we were doing on television, but it seems bonkers. Yeah, and we actually had more radio training than, than television training, um, which, again, it, you know, which is, which is great, because we need, all sort, we need to, be, to become all-rounders. 
I think it has changed now. There is more television training available. But yeah, at the time, very, very strange, especially as my teachers were saying, you're going to work in television. But at the time, I didn't think, well, I need television training. I thought, ah, I'll be fine. I'll just audition and, you know, I'll get a job and it'll be the same as um, um, working in the theatre, where it's very, very different. A, a big gesture on television looks awful, whereas on, on stage, it's, uh, it's, it's acceptable. But, uh, so there is two different types of acting. Yes, and I think people think that television acting is easier in my experience it really isn't but because television acting is slightly more naturalistic than theatre acting um, it's easy to mistake that for being easy to do but actually it really isn't no not at all it is very very difficult it's an art and, and you do you, you keep learning you, you never stop learning um, I mean, there are some bad actors out there, though, that do carry on working and working. That's just the way it is. Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh, I wish I'd had a little bit more training, but I think I did OK with what I had. And how about off-camera, then? Because when you're in people's living rooms how three times a week, people think they know you. Did you get a lot of attention on the street? Well, my character was called Ben as well. That was extremely annoying. <laughs> when I started, I said to them... Um, Right, can I be called Jake? I always like the name Jacob. <laughs> can you call me Jake Hayward? And I did the film, the movie voiceover guy voice, Jake Hayward. <laughs> but it was better than Ben Hayward. Um, but they'd already been through the legal process of changing the name, so it had to stay as Ben. So whenever people would, would come up to me and say, Hey, Ben, I'd th- are they talking to like, you know, Ben the actor or Ben the character? It was, I had no idea. Um, <laughs> yeah, we actually, I, I had people coming up to me saying, What during in the evening when the episodes would be on TV? Why aren't you at work? Shouldn't you be at the station? And you, these people were serious. They thought you were a police officer. And they couldn't get their head around it that you weren't, that you were an actor. They didn't understand. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. I know, I, I'm afraid I have to... I, you know, I think if you think somebody from a television drama is what... I don't think you should be allowed to vote, personally. Yeah, <laughs> yes, or, or have children. Yeah, yes. you can't differentiate. <laughs> uh, but, um, and... So that was, you know, you were very young, propelled um, into into the spotlight. But you'd done, uh, but you'd, you'd also did um, Band of Brothers, yes, um, which was this huge American production, but that used predominantly English actors. So if you were a hot young actor, you were. What was the sort of um, audition process for that? That was brilliant. I, oh, wow, um, I auditioned five times for my part. Uh, this is this is a great story. Um, I got the call from my agent saying, right, you're going to be seen for Band of Brothers. Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks are the executive producers. It's going to be a big thing. Um, here's your first um, script. So learn it. And uh, I got the, sk- uh, the script faxed through to me. This is before I had email, so it was all faxed. And it was about ten pages of script. Um, very detailed. It was for a big part. I learned it. Did a good audition. Did, you know, my, my American accent is quite good. Did a good audition. That was that. Then I got called back for another audition. The script was faxed through. It was about eight pages. Did that. Um, went really well again. As, as it went on, the audition process went on, the scripts got smaller and smaller. Until my fifth audition, which I was told was my final audition, my agent said, right, I'm faxing the script to you now. Am I allowed to swear? Um, yeah, I can bleep you out, yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, the, the script came through, um, and I looked at it, and I phoned it back and said, are you serious? What it was, was, it was I was auditioning for a part, with, it was one line, just one line. 
and the line was, uh, well, it was a paratrooper about to jump out of a plane. And the line was, we're too low, we're too low. And that was that. So I turned up at the audition, massive load of, like a, a, shoot, a firing squad. There was about 15 people all lined up one side of the room. And I came and said, hello, Ben Payton, I'm here to read for this part. So they said, okay, Ben, when you're ready. So I'm there pretending I'm a paratrooper. We're too low. We're too f***ing low. And that was that. And they said, great, thanks, Ben. Can you do it again? How on earth can I do that again? What, can I change my inflection? What, what do I, okay, well, think, 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 think. But yeah, of course I will. So I, I think I did. We're too low. We're too f***ing low. I'd something like that. And, um, and that was that. Like that. That was the end of the audition. And I got a call about a week later saying, congratulations, Ben, you've got a part, but it's a different part. Um, and I ended up having, I think it was two and a half lines rather than oh, just promotion. the one line. I know, I was very, very happy. Um, although you hardly saw my face when I ended up filming it. Damn it. Um, but yeah, that, that, was, um, that was two days in Hertfordshire um, filming with the Band of Brothers team that was amazing. Um, and it's interesting because you said that you were told you'd work on television because you, of your look, because you're a very handsome man, oh, if I may say so. But you're also a very verbally dexterous performer. You've got a very good voice. But so, do you find? Did you find occasionally though that you would be underestimated because of your looks? That you you actually are a versatile uh, person who can do voices and accents and things like that. Well, um, yes, I suppose so because I never really auditioned for any. All the parts I auditioned for were very, very similar. Um, it was all for the, the young bloke, young lead. Um, and yeah, I mean, there was a lot more to me than that, but I, I don't think people really cared. Casting directors just wanted to cast someone that looked a certain way, and if that was me, then so be it. Um, and I, I remember thinking, well, when I get a little bit older, um, I'll start looking, I'll start looking more like a, a man, I guess, and I'll be up for more character roles. But sadly, I didn't get that far in my acting career. <laughs> I decided to retire at the grand old age of about 30. Um, so I didn't really find out. Well, if it's any consolation, I said that because I've never been handsome, but I've always been quite characterful. And I remember saying to a, char- a character actor that I worked with on a, on a stage, I said, well, I think what'll happen is when I get older, I'll start getting offered better parts. He said, yeah, that's what I told myself. No, I've never happened. <laughs> oh, great. That's nice to know at the age of 27. <laughs> my last job was playing um, a, a dad, actually, um, in, uh, in Holby City. I did an episode of Holby and I was... I, I remember thinking, wow, now I'm being cast as dad. It's great. It's all going to change here. But but sadly, no, it didn't. Um, so, um, as as you've inferred, you, you retired from acting, but you still keep your hand in by, uh, by doing voice work um, and bringing up a child. Yes, um, my wife gave birth to lovely Lola back in 2000 and... Oh, no, 9 or 10. 2009 or 10. <laughs> Two... She's two and a bit, so... Lola's going to be listening to this oh, in the future no. and go... <laughs> I, 2010, it was 2010. Um, and um, my, my wife works in, in the entertainment industry as well. She works for EastEnders as a publicist. And I started working at Heathrow Airport, um, just selling people alcohol. Um, it's just funny where you find yourself going. And what was supposed to be a summer job turned out... You know, I'm, I'm still there, actually. For, it's been five or six years. Um, but we worked out, if I carried on working, I'd be doing, I think it was 50 hours a week, 
and with the cost of childcare, putting Lola into childcare for five days a week, I'd be making £50 a month. So we, we decided I'll stop um, and I'll look after Lola full time, which is what I do. And my wife carries on um, working. So I'm a kept man and I'm loving it. Very good. And, and uh, But you are keeping, if not your hand... Oh, well, I'm going to ask you a very important question, actually, because this is guerrilla-style uh, podcasting. And I notice your uh, coffee is down. So my, my killer question is, would you like another latte? Oh, I'd love another one. Um, <laughs> Uh, so but your voiceovers. So you did, voice, you did yes. mention voiceovers, which I completely ignored. I apologise. No. Um, yes, I still do voiceovers when uh, when I get asked to, which is very nice. I have a very lovely voiceover agent, um, and sometimes there I get the opportunity to do a few accents and different voices. Um, I, I was the voice of As Asda. Um, on the radio in the West Country for their adverts. I was talking about things like buying Green Goblin, Green Goblin Cider, only £5 for a pack of four, things like that. And that went on for about a year, which was great. Um, so, yeah, and, and I narrated a television show for Channel 5 called Make Me a Supermodel, an awful reality show, but it was great fun. So, yes, I still do that when I can. Which leads us to Doctor Who. Yes. So what happened there? Well, I got a phone call from my voiceover agent saying, would you be interested in voicing a baddie in Doctor Who? And I said, no, Doctor Who? I've never watched an episode in my life. Find someone else. Um, I didn't say that. Um, I said, of course. I you know, jumped at the opportunity. It was um, very exciting. And with voiceovers, you rarely find out what, exactly what you're doing until you actually arrive at the studio. And that was the case with this. Um, I turned up, and there I was expecting to have to... It was, uh, it's, it's called ADR, Audio Dub Record, um, where I suppose a famous example of it is in Goldfinger. The character of um, Auric Goldfinger uh, is dubbed in the film. I only realised this um, recently. The, the actor playing Goldfinger turned up on set unable to speak a word of English. He spoke his lines phonetically and an actor dubbed him in post-production. Um, and this is what I'd be doing. I'd be voicing someone else's... Uh, I'd be overdubbing dubbing over them. Um, and now I was hoping it was going to be a big Matt Smith monologue or something, or you know, Matt Smith was overtaken, taken over by an alien. But as it turned out, I was told when I arrived that you wouldn't even see the, the character's face. It's just four lines of this ADR, um, and it was going to be very, very quick. And I was a little bit disappointed. Oh, so, well, uh, and the listeners are going, hang on, you're not not even credited on Doctor Who, because, of course, back in the day when Doctor Who is made in the way that most fans know of Doctor Who being made, the the voiceover of the audience, you'd have rehearsed all week, you'd have probably done it in the corner of the studio, but you didn't even get to meet anybody. No, not at all. I mean, I think for a Doctor Who fan, um, it would have been a bit of a you know, a treasure chest. Um, I, I walked in and there was all this stuff playing on these big screens in front of me, all this uh, Matt Smith doing his um, doing his acting and talking to various different characters. Um, it, it didn't mean anything to me because I, I, I didn't watch the show, but I, I've got friends that love Doctor Who and I thought, wow, I bet they wish they could see what I was seeing. Um, but yes, um, it was literally a case of these are the lines, off you go. Thank you. So our tea and coffee has arrived. Thank you very much stuff that's great thanks very much Cheers. appreciate it nice one thank you I'll hang on to that um, so yes um, I it was uh, I, I can remember a couple of the lines I think it was uh, excuse me can can you help me my daughter's not very well my, my daughter's sick or something like that and, and that was as far as it went and I, I was really hoping for more but our, fr- our mutual friend Oliver Crocker who put us in touch um, 
did say that, to your great surprise, because you are credited on the Internet Movie Database, uh, and all that sort of thing, out of the blue you, you have been approached by Doctor Who fans and yes. you've had a lot of attention for your four lines. Yeah, it's, it's quite incredible. It's, um, it's quite amazing, the, the effects that... I mean, I knew Doctor Who was a massive show, but I really didn't realise its global appeal. And I've, I've had letters um, from people thanking me for my performance, <laughs> <laughs> which, which, is, which is lovely, of course, but... Um, and, and they, you know, they've included postcards for me to sign um, and send back to them. Sometimes they don't actually include a stamped address envelope, which is really annoying because I have to pay them for it. Yeah. Um, so if anyone think, is thinking about writing to me, come on, you know, slip your forty pence in for however much a first class. <laughs> <laughs> They're seventy p now. Are they really? Wow, fortune. I'm out yeah. of touch. Um, no, it's 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 always an honour to receive a letter from anyone about anything I've ever done. I'm always incredibly grateful. Um, and yeah, I've had I still get them from Doctor Who fans, and it's it's quite amazing. But come on, folks, it closes down to dressed envelope. Yeah. He's got a child. I've got and another one on the way. And, oh, well, congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, um, well, um, so it was. Can you remember what colour the carpet was? Uh, no. Did you have a cup of coffee or tea? I had a, a water. Had because a water. I remember a long, long time ago, I was told by a, a voiceover artist that had been doing it for very many years, you shouldn't have any hot drinks when you go into a recording studio because it can do funny things to your throat. You should have room temperature water. And that's something I've always lived by. I always have my room temperature water and my lip balm to prevent lip smacking. Oh, well, there we go. So we have, despite the four lines, despite the lack of a credit... He drank, loop, he drank room temperature water before saying the role of the Avatar, so we have an anecdote from the lodger, so we can cross out our first Matt Smith story <laughs> on the list. Ben, thanks for your time. I'm going to ask you to nominate a charity for the uh, uh, listeners to donate to. Um, if uh, you'd be so kind as to have a look at the Meningitis Trust, the National Meningitis Trust. Um, you can find it on the internet. Uh, I had meningitis when I was 18, back at drama school. I uh, don't remember too much about it, thankfully because uh, I was in a coma for about 36 hours. Oh, crumb. Um, my then-girlfriend at the time saved my life, so I'm very grateful to her. Um, so, yeah, meningitis has always been close to my head, as well as my... Close to my head. Well, it's, <laughs> well, it's, it, it's done a, something it's, to it. Yes, it's a, a head illness, isn't it? Um, close to my heart. So thank you very much if you'd like to have a look at Brilliant. And it's Doctor Who's 50th anniversary. Uh, so what's your message to all the Doctor Who fans out there? Keep on watching. And keep buying DVDs because I get repeat fees. Ah, which are better than a credit. <laughs> well, uh, look, Ben, you've come all the way into town to meet me for this daft project of mine. I'm very grateful. Ben Payton, thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much for interviewing me and best of luck with it. Thanks. Brilliant. And I'll... Um, I'll link to your Twitter. Thanks to Ben. His charity is the Meningitis Trust, which is www.meningitis-trust. Org. That's meningitis-trust.org. Uh, and I was especially thrilled that he was so game to take part after spending only less than an hour actually working on Doctor Who. But he was well worth meeting and also insisted on letting me have £10 for the other Who's Round charity, Macmillan Nurses, uh, for whom I'll be auctioning some signed pictures at the end of the whole thing. 
Um, he, because I bought the tea, he went, well, have, have, a, have a tender for the charity, which, I mean, just what a nice man. Uh, next up, it's a regular face, albeit a somewhat hidden one, from the newest series of Doctor Who, uh, talking accents, prosthetics, and mimicry. Until then, though, don't go changing. Unless you're one of those people who moans about the sound quality of these podcasts, in which case, um, go changing. Uh, follow Ben, by the way, on Twitter at Mr. Ben Payton, and Payton is P E Y T O N, uh, and me at, at Toby Haydoke, and Haydoke is H A D O K E, for no explicable reason. Uh, okay, next time. Bye. I think you're probably the finest ship ever to have sailed the vortex. Oh, my word. So now we know. Now we know for sure. But why are they here, hmm? Why are all the doctors here? Hello, my dear. Doctor. What is it, Lisa? Here. Look. In the doll's house, what? Look through the window. Come on, Ace! Run! What's happened? Where am I? You're in the TARDIS. How do you do? I beg your pardon? Oh, no need to. I'm the Doctor, and this is... I am Leela. All of them? They were you? Three minutes past five. 17 the 23rd of November, 1963. The 23rd of November, 1963. 59A Barnsfield Crescent, Totten, Hampshire. Crescent, Totten, Hampshire, England. Earth. Stop fiddling about and get on with it. Charlie, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We'll come back for you. You hear me, Charlie? Doctor, no! You appear to be some kind of warning. All this cloak and dagger business? You're clearly up to no good. By all means, please do come out to play, Doctor. I'm waiting for you.